0: Let's read from Matthew chapter 5. Going to read from verse 1 through to verse 12 of Matthew 5. We have thought about these words quite a bit recently. Our current series, Blessing Begins with Hunger, is sourced um, in the center of these verses. So um, we're going to come back to this again this morning in a few moments' time. Let's read together God's Word. Matthew 5, 1-12. to 12, The Beatitudes... This is the beginning of what has been called Jesus' sermon on the mount. Um, Jesus preaches and teaches on a mountainside, and and it begins with these words at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. This is God's word. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, His Word. Remembrance Sunday for me, and no doubt for, for most of us, causes us to admire with great courage those who um, gave their life down through the centuries, down through the years. So many in, in every context, both, both on a global scale and locally, very, very locally here, in our own country, in Northern Ireland, those who have sacrificed so much for the cause of freedom in the face of great persecution, opposition, tyranny. And in recent times, I've I've found myself drawn um, to reflect on the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the name. I'm sure many of you have heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know who he is, he was a German Lutheran pastor, He was a theologian. He was also critically an anti-Nazi dissident. And he was a key founding member of the confessing church. He was also a martyr. You can see that Bonhoeffer didn't live for very long, 39 years of age. He was was eventually um, imprisoned and then executed. He was hung for his faith in Jesus Christ in the face of the Nazi regime. Um, a man of great courage and conviction for me. Bonhoeffer is a true and real hero of the faith. Um, he was full of courage, full of conviction. He was full of commitment to Jesus Christ at whatever the cost. Bonhoeffer not only stood courageously against the evil Nazi regime, but he also realized that the, the national Lutheran church was failing. It was a failing church. They they were capitulating. They were actually cooperating with the Third Reich, led by Adolf Hitler. They gave themselves to that movement. Loyalty to Jesus Christ was being exchanged for loyalty to the Fuhrer, to Hitler. Worryingly, the swastika was casting an ominous shadow over the cross, I think of an image. Mixed up mixed up with the name of Jesus. One expert records this about Hitler. Hitler did not merely want to rule Germany politically. Rather, listen to this, he wanted to control the hearts and souls of its citizens. Frightening. At a very fundamental level, therefore, this was as much a religious battle as it was a political struggle. And Bonhoeffer understood that. He understood what was at stake. Of course, this would eventually lead to one of history's darkest moments, the extermination of more than six million Jews. Just listen to that quote again. Hitler wanted to control not just a nation, but the hearts and the souls of the nation's citizens. He wasn't just after a nation. He was after the human heart. The evil one was using Hitler to go after the human heart. You see, the greatest battle of all, I believe, I've always believed this, the greatest battle of all is the battle for the human heart. Your heart is a battleground, and the war rages deep within our hearts. Last week, if you were here, we spoke about how Jesus came not for a political takeover, as some wanted Jesus to bring. People wanted him in his day to come and liberate a nation. They wanted him to come on a white horse with a sword in hand and and bring liberation, political freedom to the nation, but he didn't come to do that. We said last week that Jesus, the Son of God, came, God in skin, God in the flesh, to liberate the human heart. He came after our hearts. And so this morning, as we think about this text in a moment or two, I wonder who has your heart? That deep, central place within your life. What is it that, what forces have captured you? What is it that has captivated your deepest affections? What is it that's controlling the shape of our lives right now? I guess even the question could be asked, why why are we even here this morning? What's going on within our hearts? You see, here in, in this church, we believe that Jesus wants our heart every single ounce of our innermost being. He doesn't want us to merely turn up on Sundays. He wants us to turn our hearts over every single day to Him, that He would have that deepest place of affection within us so as the church, the national church in Germany, gave its heart to the Third Reich, Bonhoeffer signed what was known as the Barman Declaration in 1934, which became a manifesto to fidelity, to faithfulness to Jesus Christ, whatever the cost. The declaration made clear that the church's only loyalty was to Jesus and not the state to Jesus and not the state, to Jesus Christ and not a political movement. No one can serve two masters. Bonhoeffer realized that. And Bonhoeffer would begin to establish an underground seminary, a Bible college operating underground. It was eventually shut down by the German Gestapo. But he was nurturing Christians who would be characterized by fidelity, faithfulness to Jesus Christ, whatever the cost in the face of whatever was coming their way. Sensing how this moment in history speaks loudly into our generation today, John Tyson opens up his book, Beautiful Resistance, with Bonhoeffer. He goes to moments in the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he says this. He says, though there is no specific Hitler pressurizing us today, we face a myriad of forces seeking to sabotage our faith, then he says this so we must call our generation to loyalty to Christ. We must live with devotion and conviction regardless of what they cost us. And then he says this this must be stronger than that. This. This must be stronger than that. This. Our faith in Jesus who we are as the people of God, this, the kingdom of God, the kingdom life that Jesus calls us into, this, this is greater than, this is stronger than, this is better than anything else that's out there. This is greater than that. That being whatever else is out there in this world telling us how we should live, anything else that tries to pull out our ultimate affections, anything else that tries to shape who we are as human beings here on planet earth, this, the kingdom life that Jesus calls us into is greater. It's always greater. It's always stronger. It's always better than that, whatever it might be. It's life in the kingdom. This is also where true blessing is to be found. That's what we've been thinking about over these last number of weeks in church, that that blessing begins with hunger, that the Lord, believe it or not, wants to bless us as his people. His hand is upon us. He wants us to know his blessing. But the Lord Jesus also needs us to know what that blessing looks like, what the nature of the blessed life is, Life in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, and we've been we've been lingering around this um, in recent weeks. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. Just keep your, your Bible open. Hopefully, you have a Bible with you digitally or, or in a paper version. Keep it open at Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I want you to picture the scene with me. Just picture the scene on that mountainside. There are crowds of people following Jesus. The word is out there. People are intrigued at who he is, at what it is that this rabbi is doing among them. The power that he has, the kind of things that Jesus is doing. There are crowds of people following Jesus. We know that from verse 1. But as Jesus sits down somewhere on the side of this mountain, his disciples, they were apprentices. They were learning from his life. They were living with him, walking with him. They were learning um, the life of Jesus. His disciples, um, they come to him and they sit with him. And we read that Jesus begins to teach them. Now, we need to understand that they're the 12 who have left everything behind to follow him. They've left all to follow his call upon their lives. They've publicly left the crowd to follow after Jesus. Maybe in your minds, you can picture their faces on that mountainside as they sit down with Jesus. You can imagine a crowd sort of gathering around, maybe listening in to this moment, and the 12 sit with Jesus. Picture their faces in this moment, the road ahead is going to be very, very tough for this little band of followers. But through them, blessing is going to come to the world around them. Many are going to hear the message of Jesus and believe. And so in this moment on the mountainside, Jesus speaks to the 12. The crowd are probably listening in, their ears tuned into what's going on. And in this moment, Jesus essentially says what Bonhoeffer would say centuries later that this is greater than that. Jesus says, this is the life that I'm calling you into. This is the blessed life. This is the life within the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom. This is kingdom life. This is greater than anything else. And Jesus begins by teaching them what's known as the Beatitudes it's a series of expressions that, that describe for, to them and for us today, where ultimate blessing is found in life. It's the good life, the blessed life. Do you ever wonder what the good life really is? Do you ever wonder what the blessed life looks like? Lord God, what is the? Ble- what's the blessed life? What is the good life? What does that look like? I'm, I'm kind of searching after that. I want a new blessing. I want to know what that looks like. Well, in this moment, Jesus articulates what the good life, the blessed life, looks like. It could also be called the flourishing life. The word translates well into the word flourishing, the flourishing life, a life where you will flourish. And the blessed life is not one devoid of pain, it's not a life of marital bliss or promotional gain in work, only if it was all of that and more. Bless, Imagine, blessed are you when you work because you will consistently be given every promotion you ever go for. It's not that. Imagine it was blessed are you when you marry and have children for family life will be devoid of any stress and full of everyday happiness and joy. All you parents, you know, you know that, don't you? It's full of... No stress. The kingdom life, the blessed life, is not that. It's nothing like that. You See, within the blessed life, the way up is the way down. We must understand that. The way up is the way down. The blessed life is radical. It's counter-cultural. The way of blessing human flourishing is found in places that we don't normally explore to our shame. Jesus' way of blessing sounds so counterintuitive. It's a life where poverty leads to riches and where mourning leads to joy. It's a life where the humble are honored, where mercy is modeled, and where purity and peace or prioritized. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew that. He understood the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. He knew that this, what he was living for, had to be greater than that. He stood on a mountainside with his friend Nietzsche. Bonhoeffer showed him the German fighter planes landing and taking off, troops like ants, marching to someone's orders. He could see what was rising up and he said, this, this, this kingdom life is going to have to be greater than that, stronger than that. We're going to have to withstand this, thrive through this. He understood the nature of the kingdom of God. Colin Smith is a pastor and author and he says that the Beatitudes give us a pattern of progression in the Christian life and he describes this using the horticultural metaphor of roots, Shoots and fruit rhymes really well. Easy to remember. You'll hopefully remember this. Apologies for the really kind of dodgy color scheme um, and the small print that's on the screen. Hopefully you can pick that up somehow. Um, If not, go back later on. You can maybe stick it on YouTube and and look a bit closer at it um, on the screen. But he talks about roots, shoots, and, and fruit within these Beatitudes, The first three Beatitudes are are the roots of the blessed life. They're really earthy. They're grounded in the soil of life. We're poor in spirit. Why? Because in all honesty, we don't have what it takes, let's be honest, to live as God commands. We know it and we feel it. Jesus says you must know that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We mourn, Jesus says, because we know that our, primarily, we mourn because we know that our sins, they are many. That we often fall short. We we feel that. We mourn in spirit. Jesus says we become meek. Not weak. Not weak. Meek. Rather than self-willed and defiant because we know that we can't direct the affairs of our own lives wisely enough in our own defiance. He knows that we must be humbled before God. Those first three beatitudes, those roots of the blessed life bring us to our knees in humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. See, these are the roots of a blessed life, a life of flourishing. And I wonder... Are these the kind of roots that are being planted deeply in our lives? If we don't know godly poverty, mourning, and meekness, then we'll never deepen in our faith. If we don't realize that we do not have it all together, that we struggle in this life, if we do not mourn our own sinfulness, if we don't carry a sense of being poor in spirit, Because in all honesty, we know that we don't have what it takes. If we don't carry a sense of meekness, we'll never hunger and thirst for what comes next. Those are the roots of the blessed life, the roots of flourishing. But when the roots of those first three Beatitudes are in place, out from the roots grow the shoots of the fourth Beatitude right in the middle Right in the middle of all this, and this is where we've been for a few weeks now, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's the shoot that springs up from the blessed life the shoots of righteousness. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness, and we will be filled. We've been saying that righteousness is at least three things. It's at least the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's in our lives when we put our trust in him that we would know that, that we would long to know that more. It's secondly, a longing that we would be holy as he is holy, as our God is holy. And thirdly, righteousness looks like a longing to live out God's righteous rule towards the oppressed around us, that we would see his kingdom come just as Bonhoeffer understood. Righteousness, holy, humble righteousness, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness must be at the center of who we are as the people of God. The Lord loves the righteous. Bible says that God upholds the righteous, but the Lord vindicates the righteous. Our heart, heart posture of righteousness is so, so important. This must be stronger than that. As the metaphor continues, the roots will produce shoots and the shoots will bear fruit in our lives. Take a look at those verses, verses 7, 8, and 9. The first fruit of the blessed life is mercy, mercy. The second fruit is purity, purity of heart. And the third fruit is peacemaking. We will be people of peace. Again, I wonder as we think about our own lives, as I've challenged myself and and my life, is this the kind of fruit that I see? Is this the kind of fruit that we see? Do people see that we're people of mercy? Are you a person of mercy towards others or are you a person, if you're honest, of pent up anger and vengeance towards someone? A non-merciful attitude is a non-Christian attitude. Are you nurturing and nourishing purity in your life, in your thought life, and how you act when you're alone, but also when you're with other people? Or on the other hand, are we full of impure thoughts, That fester within us lusts and actions of the flesh. We play with fire. Or are we people of purity? And then I wonder, are we living at peace with God? Do you know the peace of God in your life? Do you live at peace with God, with yourself? And then with other people around you. Are you at peace? Do you have heaven's peace upon you? The opposite of peace is... Chaos, uneasiness. Are you always uneasy in life? Or are you never at peace? The fruit of the blessed life is mercy and purity and peace. And there's a kind of progression within this. I wonder are we progressing from the roots to the shoots to the fruits? Because if we don't have peace in our lives, we'll never pursue righteousness. If we if, if we don't pursue righteousness or we'll never be able to experience righteousness if the root of meekness is not within our lives planted deeply. We'll never cultivate the fruits of mercy and, and purity and peace in our lives if we don't begin with the roots of being poor in spirit of mourning over our own kind of brokenness and, and sinfulness if we, if we don't live in meekness, submitting to the Lord's will above and beyond any kind of defiant, self-absorbed will that we might carry. To know the fruit of, of the blessed life is to first pray to God that we would be the poor in spirit, that we would be those who mourn in a godly sense, that we would be those who are meek, that we would experience in that place the blessing of God. Before you kind of start, you maybe feel like I'm kind of wanting you to mark your progress card as a Christian this morning. I'm not doing that. But I want us to challenge ourselves. I want us to think, where am I at in this? As we think about the beatitudes, as we consider the heart of someone like Bonhoeffer, who stood up in the face of an evil regime. I wonder where we're at. I wonder what progress we've had in the last few months in our Christian lives. I wonder, do you feel like the roots are in place? And from those roots, the, the kind of shoots of righteousness have been grown, and you're, you're seeing this fruit in your life. Or maybe for you, you need to go right back, right back to the roots. You need to pray verses three, four, and five before we go any further. Now, before this kind of all feels a little bit too heavy, and I understand that's, that's a heavy thought this morning, listen, just listen to what Bonhoeffer says about the only place for us to turn. He says this, clearly there is one place and only one that is where the poorest and meekest and the most sorely tried of all men is to be found on the cross at Golgotha. He says the fellowship of the Beatitudes the fellowship of the crucified for with him with Jesus with him has lost all and with him with Jesus it is found all with him we lose all we lay our own lives and desires down at the foot of the cross but in faith and in repentance and coming to Jesus we gain all we gain everything in him. We step into the blessedness of God as we follow Jesus here on this earth. Let me challenge all of you who follow Jesus this morning. We've been, we've been found by him. Praise the Lord. You were the lost, now found. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You were the lost, but you're now the find. You're part of the fellowship of the Beatitudes, which is the fellowship of the crucified, the fellowship of the Lord Jesus. You are the lost, now found, and we thank God for it. But let me challenge us. Are we moving from roots to the shoots to the fruit of the Christian life? Is mercy and peace and purity, are those the things that are are coming off us? Is that the fruit that is coming from our lives? Challenge where you see your life this morning. Challenge yourself. Go home and ask those questions. And if you're here this morning, and as yet you haven't surrendered your life in faith and in repentance to Jesus, I'd love to give you the chance to do that this morning. See, this is stronger than that. This is the blessed life. This is not the easy life. You see, Jesus also gave us an eighth beatitude. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. If you're going to follow Jesus, you must be ready for that. Insults, persecutions, false words spoken against you and about your life, I've had those. Hey, that's the sales pitch this morning. There you go. You want to become a Christian? Be ready for that. There's the sales pitch. The cost of following Jesus comes with a hazard warning. Hey, it is the blessed life. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. What the Spirit of God pours into your life when you give your life to Jesus. It's the blessed life. Nothing compares to the greatness of knowing Jesus. Nothing but it comes with a hazard warning. It's a hard life. It's tough. But I'm extending an invitation to you this morning. If you, as yet, do not trust in Jesus, I want you to lose your life and in him find it. Not because I want anything from you. Nothing. All I want is for you to know Jesus. Your Savior and Lord, step into the blessed life. And I want you to know that in this church, we're not messing about with this. We believe that the greatest decision that anyone can ever make is to trust in Jesus, Savior, Lord, and King. We believe that the highest level of spiritual challenge raises within humankind, people like us, the highest level of spiritual response. I believe that. I'm not a person for small challenges never have been, never will be. I fully believe that the call of God that goes out among the nations, among people, is the highest call of all. It's the highest challenge of all. But I believe when the highest challenge goes out, it calls for the highest level of response. People are actually deeply longing for that, to give their life to something that will last forever the greatest purpose of all. And so if that's you, um, if you're considering giving your life to Jesus this morning, I'm going to give you that opportunity just in a very normal way at the end of our service after we sing. I'm going to give you an opportunity after we sing. I'm going to pray, um, and that will be before we pronounce the benediction and go and have tea and coffee. I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus, to join the fellowship of the Beatitudes, the fellowship of the crucified, the blessed life, before we go this morning. So we're going to sing. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing. It's really appropriate that on Remembrance Sunday, we would sing faithful ones so unchanging. Because on a on a, on a Sunday like this we're thinking back through the ages. We're thinking about wars. We're thinking about heartache and lost souls. We're thanking God for their service. We're remembering those who have fallen. But through it all we thank the lord that he is the faithful one god our help in ages past god our hope for years to come for eternity to come so heavenly father we thank you that you are the faithful one so unchanging you are our rock in times of need. The blessed life does not come without a cost. But the promise of King Jesus is that he will never leave us. He will be with us until the end of the age. Lord God, I pray that in these moments you would gather your people up in a sense of thanksgiving and adoration and worship Lord, even in these moments for anyone here who as yet has not stepped into the blessed life that Jesus is calling them into, that in these moments you would stir up faith and courage and conviction that today might be the day when they join the fellowship of the Beatitudes, the fellowship of the crucified one. So Lord God, Spirit of God, do your work among us. And as we worship you, Lord, may we sense your presence and may you receive all of our adoration, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.